This presentation is from UX Australia 2016, held in Melbourne. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. Hi, uh, thanks for coming. My name's Steve Beatty. I am, aside from being an organiser of this conference, um, I am one of the founders and principals of a design firm uh, with studios in both Sydney and Melbourne called Melt Studios. Um, this is a side gig for me. Um, this conference and being a designer and being a design principal is the bread and butter that we do day in and day out. What I would like to talk about today is the things that get in the way within an organisation, within ourselves, within groups of people, the things that get in the way of an idea getting out into the world. We believe uh, that the work that we do really only begins to have value when that thing is released. Ideas in themselves don't have as much value as a product or service out in the world. So we, are, we think a lot about what is it we're doing and how are we doing it and how can we ensure that the things that we do get out there. Quite a pragmatic approach, but in, in doing that, we've sort of identified this whole sort of raft of things. Um, Denise touched on some of them earlier, and I'll talk around what she said rather than repeat what she said, because that's a little boring. Um, and one of the advantages of not using, this isn't a technical error, by the way, one of the advantages of not using a slide deck is that you don't know what I was going to say anyway. <laughs> so I can change the entire talk um, and just talk about other things, and you wouldn't know it. Uh, the disadvantage of not having a slide deck is that I have no restraint on every one of those ideas. I can just like keep going and going. But I do have a timer, um, and I do have a time slot, and Chris is going to kick me off stage um, if I keep talking too long. So I want to talk about three groups of barriers. The things that stop us going with an idea, just the way in which we get in our own head, and the sorts of causes for some of that just inner turmoil. Um, the inner voice, the inner critic that Denise uh, touched on earlier, there's some really good reasons why that happens. And I want to talk about some of those things. I want to talk about what happens when any two people or a group of people get together and why they might struggle to productively work on ideas. And I also want to talk about the organisations within which we work. Um, because they are structured in very particular ways and those ways typically are very, very good at stopping ideas getting out the door rather than actually helping them get out the door. And again, it makes perfect sense. Most of the organisations we work in and the way in which the modern sort of business is structured is based around the idea of finding something and getting better and better at it, right? We are the product of an industrial age and an industrial mindset that says what we need to do constantly is work at being more efficient and optimising a set of capabilities and a set of functions. We invest in getting better and better at those things. And our success within that environment is typically geared towards also getting better and better at some finite set of things. What that does for us is that it gets us into a situation where our value to the organisation and our sense of value in ourselves 
is tied to a small set of capabilities that we deliver inside that organisation. It doesn't do us much good to question that. Now, who here gets a performance review or something like that every six or 12 months or so? And how many of those performance reviews include things like asks really good questions? It's just not what you are rewarded for. Rocking the boat is not something you're rewarded for. Questioning the way we do things is typically not something you're rewarded for. Has anyone in this room in the last 12 months or two years been rewarded for deliberately rocking the boat? Well done you. Four people out of maybe 150. It's not what we're rewarded for. So what happens is we are motivated in our work and we're energised in our work by a desire to get better at things. That makes sense. A desire to actually be part of something that is meaningful to us. There's that. And an ability to have some control over what we're doing and how we're doing it. So autonomy, mastery, and some sense of purpose are the way those three things are labelled. Now, if you think about what it means to rock the boat, and if you think about the way a transformation program exists in an organisation or the way disruption happens inside an organisation, essentially what's being asked of you is that all three of those things are going to be challenged because they represent a very, very distinct shift away from whatever it is the organisation is doing today. The whole notion of that digital disruption or that transformation is that the capabilities and the tasks and the activities that we've become so good at are going to be set aside and replaced with something else. It's not really surprising then that when the time comes to go through an innovation project and faced with the notion of coming up with disruptive ideas, that our reaction to being asked essentially to become bad at something and to throw out our purpose and to be at the behest of somebody else telling us we must do some things, that we react with the fear that Denise talked about earlier and we react with anxiety. It is no surprise when faced with the uncertainty of what the future might look like that we react in the way that people do. And in an environment of fear and anxiety, it's very, very difficult for us to generate ideas and work on those ideas and work in the presence of that fear and anxiety in a way that's productive. It's interesting, though, that in most organisations, the challenge is not a lack of ideas. It is almost never the problem in an organisation that seems to be struggling to change itself, it is almost never the, the problem that they face a lack of ideas. In many organisations, the problem is that they have so many ideas and have no way to assess their value. Which are the good ones? What should we prioritise? What problem should we be solving? Just gets lost in amongst the noise of a whole lot of ideas. Keep coming. The seats down the front. For us as individuals, it is no great surprise that the ideas that we're being asked to generate, the ideas that we're being asked to, you know, like prototype, um, fill us with a sense of fear and anxiety. Um, there are a few more seats down the front, but you may simply want to spread into the wings. 
when we go, so if we think about how do we structure a project to help people overcome that type of fear and anxiety? And it's no mistake if, you, if I take the example simply of that sense of mastery, that ability to feel like I'm capable at something. So if we introduce something brand new into the organisation, some brand new capability that allows us to deliver a brand new service or a brand new uh, offering out into the marketplace... It's something that I'm not going to be good at up front. I've never done it before. We're, we're as humans, like we, we never get things right in the first place. I prove that to myself on a fairly regular basis by hopping on a bicycle. Um, I went for a ride this morning uh, with a group down in Melbourne, uh, down sort of on the south side of Melbourne from St Kilda. Um, and it was quite a humbling experience because about 15 kilometres into the ride, they were gone, and I was struggling up this hill, and I'm thinking, I am terrible at this, and it was wet, it was raining this morning, it was windy, it was dark, and the thing that kept running through my mind it, were, were two things. One, I'm shit. <laughs> what the hell am I doing? That's kind of the same thing. But the second thing is, this is the way to get better at it. Chase them. Keep going. I ended up riding 50 kilometres this morning. And I was cold and I was wet and I was miserable by the end of it. I couldn't feel my fingers or my toes. But the next time I get on that bike, I'll be a little bit better. And a little bit better and a little bit better. And like all of us, that's how we get better at things. So if we think about an innovation project or a disruption project where we're trying to introduce something brand new into the organisation, this is why we sketch ideas. And this is why we prototype ideas. And this is why we pilot ideas. That's why we test them with staff and why we test them with some people, is to give everyone involved that sense of, well, I've tried something and I've, I can see where it's going to go. I've got an opportunity to get better at it before my job depends on it. Um, we do a little pilot program that lets people see that thing in action so we get rid of some of the fear and some of the anxiety. But that notion of we've replaced real capability in something with being rubbish at it because we've never done it before, and now we're giving people the opportunity to actually get better at it and to do a little bit of practice. And that helps them understand that, okay, this will, this will get better, and I will get better, and I'm not rubbish. Because it's very easy to conflate those two things. I'm bad at this thing with I'm bad or I'm rubbish, or I'm useless. Those two things go together far too readily, especially in these environments of just anxiety and fear. Think about something else that's going on, which is that I signed up to an organisation, wherever it is that you might work. Typically, we join organisations because we either believe or buy into a certain extent of what they're doing and how they're doing it and the values and the philosophy that drives them. When the CEO says, or you know, like your chairman or whoever says, we need to change the way we work, we need to change what we're doing, we need to respond to market pressure and do, do something different, there's a part of you that's going to question, and a part of everyone on the project that's going to question, is this going to end up being an organisation in which I want to work? Am I actually still going to want to be here at the end of this process? And that, again, is a sense of anxiety because it's your job and it's your livelihood and it's 
paying for the kids to go to school or the house or food or the rest of it. And suddenly these things get tied up in a, oh, hang on a minute, I'm not sure that I'm going to end up employed. I'm not sure I like that. And I certainly don't like this feeling that comes from it. Now, uh, Denise touched on a a bunch of other things that go through our head around ideas. Um, But I want to touch on one more. And that is, she sort of made this point of, you know, like you put your hand up and you kind of, I've got an idea. One of the things that it's really important to recognise is that the moment someone puts an idea out into the world, they're essentially opening themselves up to being vulnerable in that moment. So when we go through these programs of work, we're essentially asking everyone to be vulnerable. And vulnerable in a place, the workplace, where they don't necessarily feel safe. It's one thing to be vulnerable in the home with your family. It's one thing to feel vulnerable with friends. But these are strangers, colleagues. We need to actively create an environment where it's okay to put that idea out there. One of the things that you do during a design process is generate a lot of different ideas. If you think about that, let's, I'm not going to use uh, brainstorming, but we generate and we generate and we generate so that I end up with multiple ideas and you've got multiples and the rest of it. And I'm not so worried about the quality of any of those one ideas. We've all got a bunch. And as we go through them and we try and understand what's good and what's bad, I've got a few and you've got a few and, and, you know, I don't really feel like I'm being torn apart. I feel like I'm contributing into the mix, right? What we're trying to do is separate my sense of worth and my ego from that idea. And the minute we can do that, we're in a much better place to actually look at that idea as an objective thing and say, well, how might we improve that idea? Leads me on to that notion of how we actually interact with each other. Because I can easily take my idea, and if I've only got one of them, I'm going to defend it. That's going to be my natural response. Any criticism that you can come up with, my reaction is going to be to defend why it was a reasonable thing in the first place. I'm not really going to be interested in building that idea, and I'm certainly not going to be that interested in throwing it away. But similarly, if I don't like you, I'm not going to be really interested in your idea either. It's not that it's a bad idea, it's just that you're an idiot. (laughs) You're that guy from sales, or you're that IT guy, or you're that guy from marketing. You know, like you were just, you just caused me problems. I don't care, this might be the next billion dollar idea for our company, and I just don't care. I don't like you. And it's very hard for us to separate those two things. One of my favourite examples of this, and it's not from the design field, it's from academia. Um, 2003, a team of Australian archaeologists, anthropologists, went to Indonesia and they found human remains in a cave uh, on an island called Flores. And the human remains ended up being a new species of human which they published in about 2004, October 2004, I think it was. New species, which came to be known as a hobbit, because their species of human is about yay big. It's not in our line of hominid. It was a completely separate line that continued to exist. Um, The existence of a new line of human in Indonesia was controversial, and controversial because the prevailing wisdom was the one espoused by the chief scientist of Indonesia, who also happened to be an anthropologist and archaeologist. Um, And these remains kind of flew in the face of his life's work. 
So he did what any reasonable person would do, which is that he requested the remains so that he could take a look at them. Being the chief scientist of Indonesia, that was pretty easy, and he subsequently put them in a box and locked them away. And it took three years before the Australian team of archaeologists were allowed back in Indonesia. It took longer than that before they could get their remains back, but they were allowed several years later in 2007 to go and find some more. Now, you can imagine, like, this is a whole new species of human, and this guy's just gone, doesn't agree with my worldview, and it undermines my career. Not going to touch it, not going to happen. Now, that's an extreme case, but all of us naturally will react that same way when we just have one idea. So the design process where we generate multiple and we try and bring them together and we do group activities are all associated with that notion of separate my ego, my sense of worth, my sense of identity from that idea and we're in a much stronger place to actually work on it. And as soon as we can start to work on it and push it and the rest of it, the likelihood that that idea will gain some momentum and get out into the world goes through the roof. As long as it's tied up here in my sense of self and everyone's in the same boat, then the likelihood is that that idea is going to die either a fast or slow, painful death. Let me come back and talk about the organisation now for a minute. Um, As I said, organisations operate mostly like um, train tracks. They operate like a train running on rails and the whole idea is to go faster and faster along that track. Um, It's only recently that organisations have seriously taken on board the notion that they need to get better at being able to change direction and do it quickly. It's a relatively new phenomenon. But it's understandable if you think about the fact that every capability that an organisation has is the result of years of effort of fine-tuning their approach to it and millions of dollars of investment in infrastructure and technology, in people, process, training, all of that kind of stuff. And then an innovation project comes along, and it's typically a project, and it's typically an idea, and someone says, we need to develop new capabilities. And somebody somewhere is looking at a whole host, a history of building up a capability and then a request to build up something brand new. Proven track record, because this is what's made us successful in the past, total unknown. It's not, it's not strange at all, and it's, it's quite understandable, that faced with those two options, an organisation would choose to further develop their existing infrastructure. I, I spoke to an organisation a couple of years ago, and we were in the midst of a shift to virtual servers and the cloud, and they ran a data centre. Data centre that's probably about the size of this floor, full of hardware. Completely obsolete now. Completely obsolete. And when I spoke to this guy on the phone, and they're in the media and entertainment industry, so um, I spoke to this guy, and he was saying look, it is impossible for me to get any money invested in shifting us to the cloud. I could remove maybe 95% of our cost out of this operation, but I would have to shut it down, shut down most of it as well. And no one is willing to sign off on writing off what's basically a $100 million investment over the last five to 10 years. 
everyone understands the value of it. Everyone understands that it will make us more um, flexible and better able to respond to the market. It will allow us to do what our customers are after, and no one will actually agree to it. Now, great idea, and just no way past that barrier of saying that old capability needs to, needs to go away. But the way in which you overcome that kind of thing, and this is what I, was, I started talking to him about during that call, was we pilot things. So in the absence of a clear... And he had a pretty good understanding of what his costs were going to be afterwards, um, but they were looking at a floor full of servers saying, well, what do we do with all of that? And have we really just wasted all our money? And the answer is no, because you've used that and you've gotten a return on it. But it's quite easy to get fixated on that old capability instead of thinking about how we develop new ones. Organisations just like people have that sense of inertia that says it's better for us to invest in what we've been doing in the past than potentially it is to invest in something completely new. When we prototype something and test it, when we pilot something and test it in the market, we're basically starting a cycle where that thing can build and a new cycle of investment can, can occur. So when you think about the design process and you're thinking about, well, I take a sketch and I iterate and I build a prototype and I iterate and I you know, maybe build a better prototype and I iterate, you're basically starting the process of launching a business launching a new product or launching a new service. And the momentum that you gain through those rapid iterations at the beginning and those bigger and bigger iterations as you prototype something real and then you launch a pilot out into the market and you try and build it up from there is to help you overcome that sense of we've, we've got this legacy investment and we don't want to throw it away. Because if your organisation can start to say, but we seem to be getting success and traction over here anyway then it's much easier to move and shift that investment. But they just don't want to. This isn't about just sort of large ships taking time to turn. In a lot of cases, this is about railroad tracks that simply won't. Um, I worked with a, a, a company a while ago who, who recognised that challenge. They knew that it took them at least two years to make changes to their mainframe systems. It took them at least two years. And they knew that that was a long time, but they operated in an industry where that was okay. It was a pretty stable industry. But they also recognised that that was not always going to be the case. So what they did was they created a new business unit, like a total new business, separate brand, much smaller, pinpoint market sort of thing. And they built it like they thought the industry might look like in three years' time. And it was small, but it was a real business, and it operated in the market. Now, they were $25 billion a year in turnover, and this thing was about 3 to $5 million. But it allowed them to test in the marketplace ideas and then say, well, what's working and what's not, and then feed it into a two-year pipeline so that by the time the rest of the industry caught up, so had they. They were kind of out there in front. They put in place that mechanism to help them overcome their own inertia. They basically worked with it and said, it takes us a long time to change course, so let's put in place some things that will help us. Intel have done something very similar. Who's familiar with Genevieve Bell's work at Intel? Right? 
It takes about 12 to 15 years to design and begin manufacture of a new chip. 10 to 15 years. Because you've got to build a fabrication plan and the thing has to be designed and tested and the rest of it. So her work and the, and the work of her team, who are all anthropologists and experience designers and interaction designers and engineers and uh, chip engineers, is to try and figure out what that point in the future might look like and just to narrow down for the organisation where they should be headed. And that helps them deal with their own inertia and their own timelines by saying, well, what is that point on the horizon that we should be aiming at? And that's another way in which we can address that notion of, well, where should we be going? Because the organisation's going to keep doing things faster and faster. There's nothing worse in an organisation than getting better and better and better at the wrong things. And unfortunately, that happens far too readily. Whatever the thing is in front of us, we get better at it. The organisation gets better at it. As markets change and as people change and as our audience changes, we may find ourselves heading off in a direction um, where we're just gradually losing them more and more and more. So we need to find ways with those rapid changes in the market in particular where our ideas can be tested and we can actually get ourselves back on course. It's not easy. Introducing out into the market new ideas is something typically organisations are terrible at. And they're bad at it for really good reasons. It's not because the people are stupid. It's not because they're stubborn. It's because they're very experienced and, and their organisation have become fairly set in their ways. And they become set in their ways so that they can be more efficient and so that they can be more productive. But they're being efficient and productive in a direction that may need to change. And that's the hard part. And I'll leave you with that. Thank you all very much. I think I have time for one question. Yes, ma'am. Um, just really interested in the story of the data centre server setting up a new business. Mm. Um, one of the challenges we have is how does a large enterprise experiment without damaging brand? Did they do that off-brand or did they do it as part of their identity? The data centre? Yeah, or the, the one in the entertainment industry where they were moving... Yeah, no, they were just struggling with it. So did they, they end up they, staying on brand or did they completely they, set up They a new stayed idea? with their data centre. They're, they're wasting money. They're, and they know it and they still can't get sign off on it. They're just stuck. Yeah. Um, the other company that I was talking about, um, they've... So that was a completely different brand and they've subsequently used... like So as their technology caught up, so the ability to actually make changes to their mainframe systems, that was replaced by a more flexible architecture because they knew that needed to happen as well, but that took 10 years. So this, when I was working with them, it was 2002, 2003, um, They've subsequently upgraded all that infrastructure so that they can make changes more quickly and that business has essentially become closer to them because they don't need a two or three year time horizon they can make changes in six months so it's now much closer to their business than it used to be and that that works great for them all right we're going to hand over to chris um, but thank you very much for coming 
We hope you enjoyed this presentation from UX Australia 2016. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.